Hello, hello. Welcome to the Thoughtful Age podcast. Hi, Today's topic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, hello, Ian. Today's topic is related to product management and titled Fueling the Future, uh, Striking the Balance Between Customer Wants and Needs. And uh, my guest is Ian Johnson, CEO of Kinesa. And uh, about four years ago, I embarked on a new adventure by joining Kinesa. And uh, I did uh, know nothing uh, about what I will uh, have to do there, what people I will meet. But uh, fortunately, uh, that led me to cross the path with Ian, a remarkable individual who would leave a lasting impression on uh, myself. And at that time, Ian had a senior leadership position, and I always looked up at him as an example of an engineer uh, with a successful career. And uh, it's worth noting that both of us are coming from engineering. Ian uh, had a degree in engineering and computer science, and uh, his career started as, uh, uh, as uh, someone who worked in the telecom and building the networks. and. Uh, uh, designing networks and working that direction. However, at some point, Ian realized that he wants to start his own company and become a CEO himself. And he started a venture in the ad tech. And uh, according to him, since that point, he became addicted to startups. And uh, as uh, engineering uh, career progress, uh, like we often realize that there is much more to learn beyond just the engineering craft or the coding craft, uh, for example, the product management or product development. And I believe Ian can tell us a lot about this, that side of tech business and that side of uh, career path. So today's topics is directly related to product management and uh, managing user experience while ban balancing immediate customer desires uh, with long-term goals. Uh, but before we dive in, Ian, can you please introduce yourself and tell our audience what made you focus, what made you switch focus from engineering to product management, and what is your uh, main focus right now? Yeah, I mean, thank you for the kind kind introduction. Yeah, I think um, you know when I started my career in in engineering, I, I you know it was a simple goal: I, I wanted to be a chief technology officer. And, you know, typically in engineering, you, you go in one field, you kind of stay there. So, you know, for whatever reason, I was brave enough to kind of move around, which actually I needed to become a CTO. And then having become a CTO, I was actually CTO for Vodafone in uh, Portugal for a while. And it's, okay, well, I've got to that. What next? Do I just want to be CTO of a bigger network, bigger company, bigger whatever? And I, I came to the conclusion that, well, no, I, I wanted to run businesses. And so it's okay, well, you need to be exposed to commercials. You need to, to understand sales. You need to do this. Uh, so, um, you know, basically I started, okay, well, let's start in business strategy. So I, I kind of moved out of uh, technology. I moved back in in a, in a, in a, in a few spots along the way. But the product uh, is an amazingly rewarding kind of area because you touch everything. You, you, you actually have something tangible at the end of the day that you build. And uh, it's, it's very rewarding when you get it right. It's, it's, it's you know, horrible when you get it wrong, but uh, it, it's, it's a very rewarding job. So you know, I enjoyed my time in product management. Uh, yeah, that's really inspiring. And 
the story the story you have is really interesting and uh, when it comes to the product management and the today's topic what's uh, some significant challenges companies face when trying to satisfy customer desires while also addressing long-term requirements what are your thoughts about that yeah the so my experience, right? So just, just to kind of qualify that way, you know, customers want everything now, right? And they, they typically aren't thinking too, too far in advance. So the, the, the kind of longer term challenges you have are easy ones and hard ones. And the easy one is typically scaling, right? You know, when, when you've got a startup and you've got your, you know, a few million from VCs, you've got one client, you know, giving you a few hundred thousand dollars, so you're still not cash flow positive. You know, the solution that you can afford then is very different to the solution when you've got tens of millions of dollars coming in and you're, you're trying to look after hundreds, if not thousands of kind of customers. So the, the good news is those longer term needs, how, how do I make my platform scale, typically comes with more resource. You've got more money coming in so you can kind of afford to set up separate teams to kind of uh, work on how to do the kind of up, upgrade. There are other changes that are equally compelling. You have to do to do them. There's, regulatory change or you know one of your key partners is changing an API and uh, you know they're giving you 12 months to do it uh, or whatever so you, you know if you don't do it you're out of business so it kind of makes it easier to kind of free up resource the, the, the hardest is you know when you when you start a company or, or when you build a new kind of product you, you believe something right and it's like uh, you believe that there's a headache out there that there isn't a good cure for and so you kind of set around to kind of build that thing. And when you go to a client and get your first win, you're very excited. But typically they want it to be, you know, if it's like an ad server, my first startup was a video ad server for the you know, mobile channel. And, you know, the, the number of clients said, well, I want it to be just like double click, only twice as fast and half the price. And it's like, okay. But, uh, you know, actually the mobile channel is problematic compared to having a wired connection to your home. Okay, these are all the things that you need to change an ad server to kind of make that work. And so, you know, making sure we're having sufficient cycle time to deliver against the vision of the company, against what the client wanted, just make it like a double click. Uh, that was the, you know, that, that, that's always a challenge. And, and that's the thing where you, you have to keep re-examining your kind of North Star of where you want to get to. But you do need to maintain a degree of customer satisfaction. Otherwise, you know, you won't have uh, that customer, let alone new customers uh, for too long. Yeah, those challenges, they're usually quite significant. And um, it's a good point that you always need to keep in mind that North Star and North Star metric as well. Like one of the guests, we already discussed that thing. And uh, I also remember myself being in the same situation, uh, like I was hired to lead a team that uh, was dedicated to building some set of dashboards to monitor the uh, infrastructure state and uh, the health of the hardware and everything. And we were just focused on building feature after feature and the customer was just requesting and keep requesting them. But we didn't have the whole picture in mind and the ultimate goal we want to achieve and uh, that definitely led us to some problems after a year of the development we realized oh like some of the strategic goals we didn't address and didn't consider before and then now it requires a significant investment to just to get uh, to get to the same point which will uh, drive us forward and will allow us to scale uh, much better 
and will allow our company to be more successful. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, let's dive deeper into how companies can uh, uh, differentiate between immediate customer demands and their future necessities. Uh, what strategies or methodologies have uh, you seen that have uh, proved their success and effectiveness? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think the key thing is, uh, you know, Agile is a very flexible development methodology, but you need to be agile in, in your, your mindset, kind of flexible how you how you do things, right? You know, you know if, if your first uh, um, customer is not happy, you're not going to have the reference that enables the VCs to kind of get you, give you more funding. Uh, and similarly, it will be hard to win your second client when when your first, your, your first client kind of walked out walked out the door. So you know, maybe then you do put all of your resource to make sure that that client is landed unhappy. Uh, 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 but generally, you do need to make sure you're up with tech debt. You do need to make sure you're delivering against your kind of strategic imperatives, which does mean reserving you know a part of your resource against um, that kind of uh, part part of the roadmap. Um, I think every product manager has you know a different version of a two by two matrix that they kind of uh, love and adore and and kind of influences their um, decision making process, but. You know, my two by two matrix has you know complexity on the bottom axis, easy to implement or hard to implement, and on the y axis it, it's not differentiated, i.e., me too, and, and the uh, other bit is is differentiated, right? And you know the the thing that me, makes you have a you know a, a, a winning company and a winning product is that top right hand corner, right? It's it's hard to do and it's truly diff differentiated, and uh, product managers tend to prefer the top left-hand corner, easy to do and uh, differentiated. The problem with that quadrant is if it's easy for you to do, it's easy for everybody else to do. So sooner or later, your competitors see it and everyone's doing the same thing. So it, it's, it's great to have an ideas factory where you can just try stuff in that kind of uh, top left-hand corner. But the, the thing that sometimes gets ignored is, is the second half, the, the Me Too stuff. And, you know, when you're selling your product, you gloss over, you know, of course we have an answer. Of course it does everything that double click does, but it does this extra differentiated stuff. And when it's coming to, you know, the first thing that they want is bulk upload, you know, they want reporting, they want <laughs> a bunch of standard stuff that isn't truly a differentiated, but you just need it to be done. So those are the things that the clients, your first clients kind of really, you, your first customers really help you with. Uh, okay, what is the hygiene? What's good enough? Uh, you know, is, is Tableau sufficient for the visualization or do you need to kind of do custom data viz? So, you know, those are the kind of things that, you know, your first customers help you with, but they don't really help you with, okay, how am I differentiated? Where am I really going? Um, you know, what, what is going to make this an award-winning, uh, you know, a highly successful venture? It's that top right-hand corner, so you just need to make sure you've got enough cycle time on those longer term where we need to kind of get to. Yeah, that's uh, that's significant and sounds pretty efficient. You having this matrix in hand, you can definitely say it once. What is that opportunity that would that you would like to pursue? And on the other hand, having an agile methodology in place, you can quickly verify that theory. The some of the ideas and uh, some of the hypotheses and how their customers will look at that and how they will use it yeah thank you for sharing that so um 
with that in mind, I'd like to hear some of the examples from your experience where a company was able to successfully uh, maintaining this balance uh, between those competing interests. Yeah. Can you share anything? Yeah, I can. And, you know, I think the you know the, the secret is a balance, right? And as I say, that kind of balance can kind of shift depending on your your, your pre-customer. Okay, put everything into the hard stuff. That's kind of when you business as soon as you get that first uh, customer kind of do do the to, to the hygiene. But you know, I, I think out the recent stuff that we've been doing in Knesso working with Matakine is 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 a good example because you know if if you talk to the campaign managers about uh, what they want is, okay, how do you make my, my life easier, right? You know, how can you take the drudgery out of uh, campaign management? So it's all about automation, reducing touch points. You know, we, we had a solution which was uh, associated with uh, insertion orders and it was forever, you know, make it simpler, make it faster, make it lo lower touch. But when you have the conversation with the end client, it's it's like, oh, great, you've made it more efficient. Okay, how much cost are you going to reduce to kind of do that? So it, it's very hard to kind of grow a business if if your sole focus is you know saving you know ten percent here, five percent um, there. So you know from a, from a product point of view, it's okay. What's what's going to grow our business? And, and the thing that we kind of decided to focus focus on was was more about the kind of the optimization, that kind of cross-channel, omni-channel optimization problem because, you know, you're delivering better outcomes for your uh, end customers, your clients, uh, than the other solutions uh, on the market. If uh, you're optimizing, it means you've got good, clean data, which uh, means that uh, you're making smarter um, decisions. So, that, you know, it's a typical problem that you, you, you find in the kind of the media space. And, you know, that focus on that top line optimization, better outcome led to, you know, significant growth in the business. When I, when I joined, you know, I won't go into the too, too, too much of the specifics, but, you know, we were tens of millions in, in billings. Uh, and, you know, currently it's in the billions uh, of dollars uh, in, in billings. So um, that's, you know, sizable growth uh, is because, okay, how do we grow the business? And it, it's really about that, you know, delivering better outcomes and a, and a continual focus on kind of reducing cost. That's a fascinating story. And uh, could you please tell us what you personally felt when, uh, what you felt personally when you realized that the decision you made was right and like ultimately, Led to uh, yeah, so I mean, the, obviously, there's probably you know, a whole list of terrible uh, decisions we make uh, along the way. But um, you know, it, it's uh, that's what I was saying about uh, product management. It is so rewarding, right? The um, you know, to have something tangible at the end of the day, and to be able to grow a business on the back of the solution that you kind of recommended. And you know, I think we had like 20 engineers when when I joined, and you know, it's you know. It, hundreds now, four or 500 uh, that we have now. So, you know, to see that level of uh, growth based on a solution set uh, that you, you, you helped kind of um, define a North Star and have the company energized behind it uh, is very rewarding. Yeah, I can imagine it is fulfilling and uh, uh, satisfactory, like satisfying very high to a very high extent and... Uh, yeah, glad, glad that uh, you did that, and uh, those like growth was very, 
very huge it was significant for sure like from 20 engineers as you mentioned to like hundreds <laughs> yeah yeah that's insane uh so uh let's discuss how business can uh prioritize and allocate allocate resources to address both short term demands and long term necessities is there any approach for the resource allocation yeah, I think, um, yeah, certainly on the engineering side, uh, you know, I hate to say it's relatively straightforward, but it, it you know, comes down to a level of effort, right, which uh, you kind of quantify with um, uh, story points. And, um, you know, one, to, to me at least, you know, one of the um, successes of a product organization is that predictability, right? If, if, if you say we can have this done by September and, you know, it's then six months after that date, it, it finally arrives. The business doesn't believe you anymore, right? So salespeople are hedging, uh, you know, customers are getting frustrated, these things. So that that level of effort estimation, what's it going to take to help me deliver and, and building the process so that you've got that level of predictability, I, I think is kind of key to um, success. So, you know, quantifying how much it's going to take to get the thing done. I think organizations typically are uh, engineered to do. The thing, the thing that's harder is what's the reward. And um, that's the bit that makes, in my view, makes prioritization hard, right? Because, you know, if you're a sales guy, you, you want to close as many sales as you can. And if the customer says, I want it blue versus red, uh, you know, they can offer it for blue, right? So, but in the overall scheme of things, was was that really where you should have been uh, kind of putting your engineering effort? Um, so, you know, that other things like scaling or delivering against your strategic imperatives, they're really about unlocking future potential, right? And, and the problem is, you know, if you did a strict kind of business plan, um, uh, you the long-term stuff always wins, right? Because, oh, I can grow my business by tenfold. Whether you can or not, it's just a business assumption that you kind of build in. Okay, well, tenfold uh, really kind of makes it worthwhile. So, you know, my, my view is um, you, you have to have kind of a, a softer approach to um, a business value that it's unlocking than a you know, hard business plan. Uh, but on the flip side, you should have a strong conversation of why you're doing it. Okay, this this is about scaling. Okay, this is heading off a regulatory change. You know, my business is too dependent on one partner, and you know they're going to put their prices up if I if I don't kind of diversify the base. Or this is you know my my first customer. You know, uh, assuming it's a kind of business to business kind of enterprise. You know, the first business was a small or medium business because they make decisions faster. But the real prize is large businesses and they need these 20 other things. That, so you, you're kind of trading off long-term growth against that near-term near need. So to me, that's, that's why the prioritization conversation is uh, so hard. Uh, sales guy, oh, I need it now. I can get you a sale now versus, okay, I'm going to open up my market opportunity tenfold if I kind of do do these things. And it's, it's that kind of tension that is always hard. But, you know, in your, um, you know, in, in my view, the process is you start with your product vision. You know, what am I trying to do? How am I trying to get there, right? From that vision, it's okay, How what can I do this year? So, uh, and then kind of break back into it. 
And you just need to make sure you've got enough cycles against those longer term gross things to, to help you move along in the direction. That's that's not to say that, you know, as you do the quarterly review, okay, crap, we're, you know, we just don't have happy customers. We need to think, uh, um, focus more on some of the hygiene factors. Um, but that's generally the approach, you know, articulate, this is for growth. Uh, this is helping me align with my strategic vision. This is, this is going to grow my opportunity tenfold versus this is going to help me land the sales pipeline. Uh, and then have the conversation kind of going through. And there's always kind of horse trading as you kind of go through that process. And the better, the more open that process is internally in an organization, in, in my view, um, the better, you know, the bigger you get, it's harder because everyone wants to be a stakeholder. Everybody wants to have a voice at the table. So you have to be quite disciplined who, you know, how, how large you make the room, but you do need to be quite inclusive in that conversation. Otherwise, you know, you have the product team going off, uh, wanting to deliver this, the sales team selling something else, the, uh, you know, account folk having problems. Well, you know, if, if we just fix this one issue, 90% uh, of the inbound calls uh, to customer service would disappear. So it's, it's always a bit of a horse trade, but the wider the conversation, the better. Don't get too precise because you'll just, you'll just, you know, you, you, the, the assumptions are never perfect. Uh, but, you know, have the conversation and make sure people understand why you're doing it and make sure you're listening to their objections to it. Hmm. Yeah, I like the idea of like balance and uh, balancing that in the proper, uh, to the proper extent, like not, uh, not, do, not go to the edge one or another, but like still maintain something that uh, would, lead, would lead, lead us to ultimate success. And, uh, and also speaking of balance and uh, uh, how important do you think is the culture and fostering the culture of innovation and uh, and adaptability and achieving this right balance between uh, customer needs uh, and uh, long-term requirements? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think culture, you're right to break it, culture, and then one of the components of culture is uh, innovation and adaptability. You know, it's, it's very easy when you do a culture, uh, you know, the culture inside a startup is whatever it takes, right? So whatever it takes to get it over the line to, to make the customer happy or this, that, and the other. And, you know, it, this may be more of a factor of my startups versus anybody else's, but, you know, maybe the documentation isn't quite there. You know, maybe you're burning out your star players to the, you know, they just can't sustain the kind of level of work. So as you mature, it's about getting more control, more process, making sure the load is shared um, outside, the, you know, outside the hands or heads of you know, your, your smartest, uh, best, best people. And that can take a, a culture shift. So, you know, people who join the startup as you grow and get more processes, you know, maybe you know, they're not quite the fit. So that can be tough for an organization. But Again, having that open dialogue about what is the culture we want, how do we need to adapt the culture so that we can thrive as, as we um, grow, you know, I think is, is, is key. And, you know, the good news is with, with Agile, it really is about iteration, right? It is like try new stuff, fail fast. Did it work? Did it not? Okay, learn the lesson and kind of move, move on. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, it, it's that, that fail fast, get stuff out there is important and i think it is part of agile 
However, it does have a little bit of an Achilles heel, and that Achilles heel is it's not very good with disconnects, right? If, if, if AI machine learning is going to completely disrupt your rules-based engine, okay, you need to have a separate team worrying about AI and ML and is your data granular enough to, to let machines do the optimization. So I, I think you know, as you scale and your business gets bigger, you know, ideally you do want a separate uh, R&D team whose sole job it is to look at the disruptors, what are the new ideas we want to uh, try. And if you're you know, really lucky, a court dev, okay, who's playing in the startup space? You know, uh, should we be making investments so we can get closer to you know, this particular pool of talent? Um, but those are the things that kind of come with, with scale. You know, when you start off as a startup, uh, you know, it's all hands to the pump to deliver against the vision. But as you get bigger and bigger and bigger, if you're not careful, you, you, you get into the trap of just making a better mousetrap than a different mousetrap or getting disrupted by somebody else's different mousetrap. So, mm. yeah, it's, it's very important. But as you grow, you know, how you go about it will, will, will change. Yeah, yeah, the culture is really significant. And uh, I would also add the engagement, engagement of people and uh, uh, in agile, it's like uh, getting the feedback from the customers is very important for the people who actually do the work and uh, the engineers, the developers, if they will see the impact of whatever they do and they will see happy customers at the end of the day. It is really empowering, like for me personally, for sure. And they've seen that uh, place well with the uh, different other people as well. And... Uh, when we are talking about a bigger organization and uh, we are talking about different departments or different different teams that are inside the same organization, uh, how uh, we can ensure that the collaboration between them are going well and uh, all of them are on the same page and like moving in the same direction and uh, prioritize the same uh, the same initiatives and things that we think is relevant and important. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think I mentioned earlier, I mean, it's, it's so easy to get it wrong, right? You know, as I say, if, if, if you haven't got internal alignment about what you're trying to achieve, how you're trying to achieve it, what's important, what's not important, as I say, you know, you can have the sales guy going off just, you know, sign here to the customer, we can do anything that you want, uh, you know, completely, everything's a snowflake, and then just lob it over to the fence, the product and engineering folk, okay, go, go fix that. So, you know, obviously, <laughs> that's bad. You know, on the um, account management side, you know, it may be completely obvious to them the three things that the client always complains about. But if the product and engineering org is, is too remote from that feedback, you know, they're too busy working on their roadmap that they locked in, you know, three months, six months ago. So, you know, getting everybody aligned is key. You know, actually, you know, particularly when you deal with large customers, you know, your customer isn't actually aligned either, right? You know, it's the, the you know, head of the analytics shop, you know, the media buyer, you know, everybody can be kind of fragmented in, in their belief set as well. So, again, it, it's getting, in my view, get alignment around the vision. This is what we're trying to do, right? Okay, is this ask from this particular client helping me get to where I need to get to or is it, is it a distraction? And, you know, uh, because you have to pay the bills, you have to pay the wage bill, sometimes you, 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 you take on some of those distractions because it's what the customer wants and at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're paying the bills. On, on the flip side, uh, you do need to be taking care of your growth and future direction. 
it's just sales okay great uh sorry we can't do everything that you're asking for these customers because we, we we're looking to grow the business 10x you know uh, so you know making sure you're having that conversation making sure you're having um the dialogue across the business uh and you, you know unfortunately not everybody can have a voice at the table because you you know you just have endless meetings that kind of go on forever but you do need to find those, those key stakeholders who's who really has their finger on the pulse of kind of what's going on and you know uh is happy with the kind of the prioritization process and make sure that you escalate right if the problem stays in product and engineering and the business side of the house isn't involved well you, you know this this grow 10x may be immaterial if you can't pay the wage bill and everybody walks out the door because you, know, you can't pay them so yeah I, th I think it's it's the collaboration is key everyone aligned around a, a key vision getting the culture working i think is key and then that open dialogue i think is important with the proviso that not everybody can have a seat at the table for the conversation yeah definitely collaboration is the essence and having the right vision and uh, for everyone to share that vision uh, is even more important for everyone to make the most efficient decision based on that vision in their like local area in their area of responsibilities uh, yeah, yeah it, is, it is really vital and uh, i like i like that idea always for collaboration always for getting as more feedback and uh, opinion as possible yeah. and uh, as we continue our discussion and i'd like to hear your thoughts on the future uh, on how the relationship between customer desires and long-term requirements might evolve. Maybe there are some something ahead of us, maybe some new technology or some new methodology, maybe AI will play some role in there. What is your opinion on that? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, obviously, well, not necessarily, obviously, the, the depending on the customer, you know, you know, business to consumer is different to business to business. And, and you know, a lot of kind of what I've done is, is kind of more on the business to business side. And the, the, the customers typically have questions about the future versus, okay, that, this then means I, I want the following. And um, the, the thing is, how do you keep them engaged in terms of how you see the industry going? How do you get their feedback on, on how it's evolving? Um, you know, as we, you know, as you go through the third-party cookie deprecation and you know uh, privacy regulation kind of uh, flexes across the industry, the, the the number of questions that we got and uh, and you know how we ended up dealing with it was basically have you know one hundred and one class. We then had master classes to kind of really help uh, educate our base of customers about how we were thinking about it and, and how we're trying to um, evolve things. Um, again, with size comes the opportunity to put in structure. So, you know, having a client success team that is really, you know, dedicated to your larger customers and really understanding who are thought, the thought leaders on their side of the uh, fence so you can kind of really benefit from how they're seeing their business evolve and kind of where they're going to and have that honest feedback about, well, you know, this is how we're going to see the world without the cookie. This is what we think it means. This is how we're doing it. And, you know, uh, the best partners will challenge you. They will offer you perspectives that you haven't kind of um, thought of. So that, that is the, you know, that, that customer advisory board uh, with the key partners, with the 
best thinkers uh, from from your key customers is the way to kind of surface a, a kind of a lot of those kind of directional am i right or wrong the uh, the, the the flip side uh for the small companies you know as, you, as you're doing your startup you, you you've got to be careful of those sacred cows right you, you've got funding on a belief and you know halfway through it's like holy crap they really don't uh worry about it or or really they're not going to pay a premium for this uh, this particular solution so that that always kind of question you know, those kind of sacred cows you know uh okay i need a new north star how, how do i kind of pivot and, and again, that, that acid test of, of signing up new customers is, is the, the acid test. You, you got it right or you got it wrong. So, yeah, I, I think it's, as I say, depending on where you are in your life cycle, there are different things. But as you scale customer advisory boards, you know, strong uh, client success team, I think is key. Smaller, it, it's just make sure you're tapping in with the uh, sacred cows and are, are you winning new business or not, right? You know, are you on your plan or not? Okay, yeah, that's uh, insightful, and uh, there is uh, a lot of wisdom in, uh, in this, in all of this. And uh, we're approaching the end of our today's interview, and I have the last question for you, Jan. Okay. Is there is there anything you can recommend for the aspiring leaders, or maybe product managers, or engineers who uh, want to progress in their career and maybe become a CEO or maybe start their own company at the end of the day. Any like piece of advice that you might think might be essential? Yeah, I think, um, well, I, I, let me, let me the, the rules that I follow by, so I, I read everything, you know, so try not to pre-filter out. And, you know, if people recommend something to you, I mean, I, I struggle with some of the Harvard business reviews, you know, they're, they're meaty and, a lot of the benefit uh, is kind of halfway through, um, but you know, read everything. Don't, don't try to pre-filter. The, the second advice is um, be brave, right? You know, as I went through my career, you know, I started as you said at the start. I started in um, telephony. I moved into mobile. I became a radio specialist. Uh, it's just if I wanted to be CTO, I couldn't just know about mobile propagation and how it works you know there's a whole raft of things so that made me force me to kind of change job a number of times not for more money not for more people reporting to me or whatever just get it learning new skills so i could be considered for bigger and bigger uh, roles and it then got to a point where i was you know a c-level exec on the engineering side and i had to take a sideways start um, move into kind of more commercial uh, if I ever had a hope of becoming a CEO or COO, and it's it's hard, right? You know, you, you, you kind of move sideways. You you got all your peer groups. Suddenly, you're not a peer with them anymore. You're potentially kind of more uh, junior. But it's it's that kind of bravery uh, that you, you you kind of need, and you, you're going to get it wrong sometimes. So you know, uh, you know, be kind to yourself, self, forgive yourself, uh, but try new stuff, expand your horizons, and you know, a, a technique that I use even to this day is, you know, where do I want to be five years from now? Okay, do I have the skills to get there or uh, am I missing something? And so that that kind of regular you know, annual check where I'm, it can be depressing. I used to do it on my birthdays and I used to get really depressed on my birthdays because, you know, I wasn't where I was thinking uh, I, I, I wanted to be. And some, some some birthdays when I did the review, it was like, holy crap! Why why did I want to do that? That was the stupidest 
<laughs> so, but you know, putting that structure in um, kind of really helped me. There was uh, Lewis Carroll. If you if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Well, I want to know where I'm going, and then okay, great. Well, I, I these are things that are holding me back. Okay, how do I get those skills? So, uh, just be brave with your career, and uh, hopefully, it'll pay dividends for you. It certainly did for me. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, having this long-term plan and uh, conducting the retrospective is, I believe, is very important and will definitely uh, lead to success. And uh, so thank you so much, Ian, for joining us today. It was very uh, insightful and interesting conversation. And uh, for, ev for everyone who watched the podcast, please uh, uh, press like and subscribe to the channel. Thank you, Ian. I appreciate it. You, you take care. Thank you.